morning, guys. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. I'm thinking that the best place to start is actually in the Bible, which I think is always a good place to start. So if you if you have your Bibles, we're just going to go through the scripture right away, and then I'll introduce myself and get into the teaching for this morning. So if you can open your Bibles, we're in a series in Ephesians called All Things New to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 5. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. And there's one second. Okay. For, for of this you can be sure, no, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, we just come before you this morning and we just desire to hear from you. We know that your word is truth and we just want to learn from it. So help us this morning as we just kind of dive into what it means to lead a life that honors you and that follows you, Jesus. And that's what we're about here at Anchor Point. So we love you and we just pray this all this morning in your name, amen. Well guys, like I said, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you sometime, either today or after I can take my mask off in your presence. But um, I guess the, the, the main important thing that you should know about me is that I love Jesus and I love the family here at Anchor Point that he's given me the privilege of being a part of. And so at Anchor Point, our mission statement is following the way of Jesus for the renewal of our town. And in my heart, my desire is that I would follow Jesus and my desire is also that everyone here in Anchor Point would follow him as well. And so we've been in, in our series in Ephesians, like I said, called All Things New, where we're learning about how God's created this new humanity in Jesus. And he's also created this new family where Gentiles and Jews are united. And so, through this series, we've kind of focused on the first half of the series, we've been thinking about the vertical relationship, so God and man, and how that plays out. And in the second half of the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about the horizontal relationship, so man and man, and what that looks like. And last week, in the last couple of weeks, we've been in the second half of Ephesians, so we've been really looking at the man v. man relationship here. And so Tom, last week, continued the theme of how we live out that reality of man versus man and he used that great illustration of third graders or sorry was it first or second graders i was confused about that second graders becoming third graders right yes okay 
So living into their true identity, their teacher calling them Scholar Ross or Scholar Butler so that they weren't yet third graders, but the, te the teacher was calling out their true identity. So I'm going to make you a third grader. And so if you haven't been with us or haven't heard any of our sermons, you can go check those, those sermons online. They're up there and you can catch up in the series. And so in that scripture that I just read, we're going to continue on this theme of right living. I think in my Bible it says instructions for Christian living. Who's excited about that? Who likes to be told what to do? Oh, look at that. Jess just gave me the eyes. Like... Before, but before we jump in, let's do an activity first. Who's up for an activity? Kids? I'm looking at you, kids. Yeah. Any other hands from the children? Okay, Mom. Yeah, okay, John. Yeah, hey, Hannah. Yeah, Audrey. Okay. So we're going to read this together, guys. This is going to be exciting. Okay, don't get too excited. Don't jump out of your seats. We're going to read the Nicene Creed together. What? Okay, Nate, you want to throw that up there? Okay, can you guys see that? Kind of, maybe? Okay, so try to read it with me, okay? I'll read it, and you guys read it with me, okay? So we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Of all that is, seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again. Mm. The um wasn't there, but... Um, in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Come on, people, don't fall. But keep with me. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Okay, so we believe all of that here at Anchor Point. Okay, guys? And I would think that a lot of us here believe that as well. So here's the question, kids. You guys ready? What is missing from that? And, and you guys can give any answers. Any kids out there that have any thought come to your head, put up your hand and feel free to share. Anybody? What's missing from the Nicene Creed? Mm. Anybody? Any brave kid want to try? Come on. Any brave, brave kid? Okay. Church? Who said that? Good job. Anybody else? Adults. What's missing from the Nicene Creed? Well, I mean, I was hoping you'd pay attention. What's missing? Come on. Someone give me some try. Did we see the word Jesus? Sorry? Rule. Rule? Very interesting. Anybody else? What's missing? Somebody, give me one more, just one. I'm asking for one. Juvia? Yeah? That's okay, Juvia, great try. Okay, adults, anybody? Something? 
Okay. All right. That's okay. How do we live? Okay. What do we do? And I think this is such an important point. And we find this in a lot of creeds and statements of faith that it gives you the right thinking. It gives you the theology, right? But Paul, in, all, in almost all of his letters, he had a pattern of he introduced right thinking at the beginning of the letter. And at the second half of the letter, he would show you the implications of living that out, right? So whenever you stop with the thinking, it was showing you how to live in light of that thinking. And if you can throw up that next... Uh, Slide there, Nate. So right thinking is the same word that is used if you guys ever heard of orthodox or orthodoxy. And orthopraxy is right living. And if you notice, I put the arrows so that they're actually pointing at each other. So it's not like a linear progression of you get right thinking and just automatically fits into right living, but they're actually interconnected with one another. And so Paul, Paul hears, specifically to the Ephesians, but everywhere else where Paul writes his letters, he shows his hearers that right thinking is necessary to lead to right action. And so I think for us specifically, we're living in this time where information is just consumed for the sake of consuming it. You know what I'm saying? Anyone else have that issue? But in Jesus and Paul's time, information and knowledge was meant to have a practical application to the hearer's life. So whenever you learn something, it was actually supposed to impact how you live. And so if you can go to that quote, Nate, this quote I've been wrestling with for like the last three years of my life. And I hope that you guys can wrestle with it a bit this morning and maybe into your week. But I don't believe something when I say I believe something. I don't believe something when I believe I believe something. I believe something when I act as if it were true. I'm going to read that again. I don't believe something when I say I believe something. I don't believe something when I believe I believe something. I believe something when I act as if it were true. And so I'm going to share this little story with you that maybe will help us grab onto this idea of right thinking and right living. I have a confession to make, but I've fallen in love again. Oh. I bought an oven steel. Has anyone ever heard of an oven steel? Okay, so... Oh, yeah. So it's the thing you put in your stove and you, you get it really hot and you cook things on it like pizza. So I've been watching all these videos, I've been doing all these things so I can cook the perfect pizza. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, hey, perfect. Okay, so this is how the idea of right thinking and right living is going to play in here. A recipe helps me know what to do, right? You guys with me? But the recipe has no use to me unless I'm actually going to make the pizza. Right. Okay? Learning a recipe naturally implies that I'm going to make something. You guys with me? And so I make the pizza. I made the first pizza. It was way too thick. I was like, oh, man, that sucks. But I had like four sets of dough. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have lots of chances to make another pizza. And so part of the process of right thinking, translating into right living is... Hey, we learn something, we live it out, and then we see, hey, that actually didn't quite line up with that thinking. So let's go back to the thinking, let's go back to the theology, try to understand it better to actually impact the next time we try. So there's this, there's this interconnectedness between our thinking and our living out and practicing it and coming back to what we've learned. Everyone with me so far? 
And I was kneading the stove. It's like the one of the recipes I needed for 10 minutes. So I'm like, I'm like, set the timer. And I'm like, I think I'm kneading it too hard. And so I was like, no, keep going. And I'm like, and I think I needed it too hard. It was, and so it's a delicate process, right? And this is part of understanding how we're called to live as followers of Jesus and, and practicing in our life and coming back to that. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about the motivations behind right living, right action. And so in this specific scripture that I just wrote, Nate, you can throw those things on, Paul lists four motivations for right living, okay? And we're going to briefly go over each one of these. And number one is God's judgment. Ooh, yeah. Number two is being the fruit of light. Number three is the nature of wisdom. And number four is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians, he's already rooted the Ephesians in right thinking in the first half of the, of the book. Now it's time for, as Ephesians 4.24 says, putting on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. What? Did you guys hear that? What was that? Created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. That's what we're created to be, guys. And I mean, it's so great that Jess brought that word this morning. Like, I was like, oh, whew. And so that's what we're going for here at AP. That's what we want. That's what we're talking about following Jesus daily. That's what we're about. And so we're going to jump straight in into God's judgment. And we're going to read that first scriptures, uh, verse 5 to 7. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Sometimes I think when we look around, we think that people are just going to get away with everything, all types of immoral behavior. But Paul is very clear to say to us here that that's not the case. That's not going to happen. The kingdom that Jesus has ushered in is a kingdom of righteousness and holiness that we've talked about, that we just mentioned from Ephesians 4. And so anything unlike that will be excluded. But when we think about that, I think it's sometimes we need to be a little bit cautious because all of us in some ways have probably fallen short of that standard. Would you agree? And so Paul is speaking here to people who have turned lust and immorality into an idol that they worship, not to people that have sinned in weakness, repented of their sin and asked for forgiveness. And he continues on by giving the warning to not allow ourselves to be deceived by empty words. I think so much in our culture these days worships lust and immorality, and it portrays it as harmless, inconsequential, actually as a good thing for us. And so he's warning us to not let ourselves be fooled by that. And when I was studying this, I thought that the, one of the most interesting things that stood out to me about this was when we read this, I think we might think by default that I'm in Christ, God's judgment of me fell on Jesus at the cross, and now by grace, through faith, I'm declared righteous and accepted into God's family. Would you say that maybe you think about that as you're reading that? And I would say that that's all true, right? I, yes, thank you, okay. Woo. Um, so we might think that God's judgment is primarily a motivator for unbelievers. But I might... I'm going to say that this is partly my opinion. I'm learning this and working through this. I don't actually think that's the case. And I don't think Paul or the New Testament writers thought that either. 
like so many other principles that we've talked about, right? There's this constant tension that Paul talks about. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as a promise of your salvation. And then right here, he's talking about your inheritance. Has any, so he's talking to the Ephesians in the church. Hey, guys, nobody who lives like this has any inheritance. And we also see in Hebrews 6, which people think is written by Paul, he talks about the don't fall away from your faith. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 talks about depart from me because I never knew you. You perform miracles. You, you cast out demons in my name and I still didn't know you. And that's actually what we just read in our reading plan, which is great. If you guys aren't on the reading plan, join us on the reading plan. It's good. So there's, there's this tension, right, of, hey, guys, God's judgment is going to fall on this way of living. If you choose to willfully continue in your old self, God is going to judge that. Our salvation in Jesus does not give us license to do what our old selves desired. And so the second motivation being the fruit of light. For you, we're, we're going to read this scripture. I think it's verses 8 to 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul here is continue is contrasting as he's done before the past and the present. Hey guys, this is what you were once like. You guys were once in darkness. Now you're in in light. Your old self, new self. The interesting to me, thing to me was that Paul is actually identifying them as light. Do you see that? He's not saying, "Hey, you live in an environment of light. Light is shining on you." He's saying, "Hey guys, you Ephesians, you are light." And so it's not the environment. We are we are in crisis. We've been learning through this series. So we act like we're actually light. Our behavior is actually meant to conform to who we are. And there's, there's, there's not an exception there. You know, we talk about you know a tree by its fruit. We look at the fruit of our lives, we'll know the type of tree we are. And so Paul now goes on to say that we actually expose darkness. We expose evil because that's what light does. We push darkness aside and reveal what has been hidden. Sin, evil, seeks to hide and conceal itself, but light illuminates sin. And I think this is a hard thing for us to kind of think through a bit, because I think we all struggle in actually doing this. I think we're more often rooted in our culture, which says, hey, my business is mine and your business is yours. Don't, don't tell me I'm doing something wrong. Don't involve yourself in the things that I'm doing. But that's not how this new humanity is working that Jesus is bringing us into. We lovingly, gently, humbly do this for the world around us and for our family in Jesus because that's what we're made to do as light. I think there's a different sermon that we can be preached that can be preached on kind of how that works of how we approach the world in that and how we approach one another. But speaking specifically with each other, I think that in order for us to do this, it only works well when we recognize our need to be known and to know one another. And we need to build trust and love with each other so that rebukes and correction can be seen as loving instead of disregarded. Uh, I was, this is a good story. I think the kids will like this. Who likes McDonald's out there? Yes. 
Chaka, what are you doing back there now? I mean, we do have a... Yeah, you like McDonald's? Yes! I mean, we do have a lot of dietary restrictions, so it's probably the majority of the people here couldn't even eat at McDonald's, which is a whole other issue, but that's okay. I was out on a guy's trip. It was me, Remy, Remy is my son, uh, Nate and Jonathan. And we went and we went to McDonald's. We're going through the drive-thru. And Jonathan looks at me and he goes, Hey, uh, order me a peanut butter sundae. And I go, okay, peanut butter sundae. I don't think I'm thinking in my head, I don't think they have peanut butter sundaes. But I'm like, oh, maybe it's a seasonal thing. So I get up to the to the drive thru and I'm like, hey, can I have a peanut butter sundae? But he's like, we don't have peanut butter sundaes. Can I get you anything else? I'm like, oh, uh, sorry. Can I have a, a small McFlurry? Okay, is that it? Uh, no, I have a couple of things that I want to get. Okay, can I have another? Okay, are you done? I'm like, buddy, I'm just putting in an order here. Like, what the heck is the big deal? I got upset. I'm like finished with this guy because he's short with me. I'm like, I'm trying to order. I'm sorry. I ordered a peanut butter sundae. It was wrong. Okay, give me a break. So I did not act like light in that situation. I will tell you very clearly. And so we leave the drive-thru, okay? And we're driving. And you know what I'm doing? I'm justifying everything I just did. I'm like, don't you guys hate Nate's in the back seat, Jonathan's in the front seat with me. I'm like, don't you guys just hate when drive-thru people treat you like that? Like, what right do they have? Like, they're just, I'm just trying to order something. Do your job. Jonathan looks at me. And he says to me gently, he says, do you think Jesus would have treated that guy like that? And I just stopped. And I looked at him. I didn't stop the car. I was still driving. I looked at him and I said, you know what, bro? Thank you. You're absolutely right. And that's what we're called to do for one another, guys. That's what light does. Third one, the nature of wisdom sounds very important, and it is. Reading plan. Yes, who's been in the reading plan? Woo, woo. Okay, we've, we've been in, we've been in, we've been in, we've been in Proverbs. So, does anyone have any thoughts on what wisdom sounds like? Have you guys, you know, in Proverbs, I think it was Proverbs 8 and 9, it talks about wisdom. What does wisdom sound like to you guys? Man, you guys are too smart. <laughs> I love those who love me, those who seek me, find me. I walk in the way of righteousness. For those who find me, find life. All who hate me, love death. Sounds like Jesus to me. We act rightly according to Paul because wisdom is part of our new selves. In Jesus he's calling us he's calling the Ephesians to act like the wise people you are indwelt by God's Spirit you have been given wisdom seek it out people is what he's saying so we need to be careful how we live why because God has given a life you this life and it matters it has value and it's meant to be lived wisely and so what according to Paul is a mark of a wise person I didn't even read that be, careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So the mark of a wise person is someone who makes the most of their time. This word I was thinking of, this word is, it's not a word, it's two words actually. Patient urgency. Once again, another tension here. Be still go out into all the world you know what i'm saying right and so paul's calling us to this idea of patient urgency i think for a lot of us our time will always be one of the most valuable things huh 
Yes, is your time valuable? But I think often in our culture, we've grown to be entitled to our time. We think that our time is our own and we use it accordingly. And I think if we didn't think that way, there'd be more patient urgency in our lives as we live in God's kingdom together. And so Paul says here that the days are evil, but one of the cool things is that following Jesus daily, being his disciple, this rule of life stuff we've been talking about, when we make the most of our time that's been given to us, we actually redeem each day. And how does that work? By right thinking leading to right action, we live each day like it was intended to live, by bringing God glory. And so most importantly here, as you see at the end, it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understanding what God's will is for, for us as a church, for you as an individual, will probably be the most important thing you do in life. Maybe if you could throw that quote up there. The question at the heart of the intersection of God's will and human wills is apparently at the heart of everything. The relation of God's will and my will is not a specialized religious question. It is the question. The way we answer it shapes our humanity in every, direct, in every dimension. So understanding what God's will is important. Jesus in Gethsemane said, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what we're called to be doing as followers of Jesus. And in that is a general will and a, in a particular will. That's a bit more in-depth of a lesson, but it's this idea that God generally teaches us in Scripture how we're supposed to live His will. And He also has a particular will for you as a person. But they, they intersect. They actually are in relationship with one another. They are not separate, God's general will and His particular will for you. And so the last motivation that Paul talks about here is the fullness in the Holy Spirit. Let me throw that up there, Nate. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has already talked to the Ephesians about being sealed by the Spirit, telling them not to grieve the Holy Spirit both in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. And now he's telling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, contract, he's contrasting drunkenness. So Paul is obviously stating that drunkenness is wrong. But the important lesson there is he's addressing what's controlling us, guys. Okay, So it's not just this specific thing. Hey, Paul says drunkenness is wrong. He's speaking, he's speaking to a particular people during a particular time that I'm assuming drunkenness was probably one of their main issues. But more importantly, he's talking, hey guys, don't be controlled by alcohol. Don't be controlled by anything other than the spirit. You could replace drunkenness probably by many other idols, probably specifically, like I said, related to the Ephesians. So we want to be under the influence of God's spirit here at Anchor Point. Only in the fullness of the spirit do we actually gain control of our lives that honors God. And it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, if you guys were not aware. And so we've talked about it many times. What does the Spirit do? Leads him to truth, yeah. Who's truth? Yes. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. He makes us into the likeness of Jesus by helping us understand how right thinking leads to right action.
And so Paul finishes description of motivations for right action by describing what the fullness of the Holy Spirit actually leads us into as we relate to one another. And that's fellowship and public worship. You guys been enjoying the public worship that we've had here? Eh? It's so interesting, eh, the contrast of when you're away from it for a while. Like if you're, we come to church every week and we're like, oh yeah, the singing was great. Did you like the singing? Not really. Ah, it was a little thing. And then you don't have it for a while and you're coming and we're just having a small time of prayer and worship here. And you come into a congregation where there's corporate worship. And not that I want to put too much emphasis on my feelings because that's not a good thing. But you can notice the value in it. Am I right? And so that's what the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit leads us into fellowship with each other and public worship. And so let's remind ourselves that these things, once again, are not an option. This is not a menu, guys, of like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe I'll have some fellowship today. And maybe I want to worship. It, that's not how it works in our new souls. So right, right action motivated by fullness of the Spirit will result in us sharing fellowship and worshiping together. So we're going to end our time this morning where Paul ends this particular scripture that we're going over talking about always giving thanks. Did you guys know that grumbling was actually one of the major sins of Israel? And that they paid for it very dearly? We're kind of reading through that right now, eh? How has your attitude been recently? I actually just asked for prayer for my attitude last week. My attitude hasn't been good. Have we been grumbling? COVID this, government that, church this, parks closed, I'm bored. I think we need to refocus a bit. You wanna throw that last quote up there, Nate? The truth is, this is Eugene Peterson, he's a pretty cool dude. Truth is, there aren't very many happy people in the Bible, but there are people who are experiencing joy, peace, and the meaning of Christ's suffering in their lives. The work of spirituality is to recognize where we are, the particular circumstances in our lives, and to recognize grace and say, do you suppose God wants to be with me in a way that does not involve changing my spouse or getting rid of my spouse or kids? or job, or health crisis, or annoying friend, but in changing me, and doing something in my life that many, that, that I could never experience with this, without this pain and suffering. Sometimes I think all I do as a pastor is speak the word God in a situation which, in which it hasn't been said before, where people haven't recognized his presence. Joy is the capacity to hear the name and to recognize that God is here. And so there's reason to be thankful this morning, guys. God is definitely here. I'm going to call the worship team up here, and I'm going to give us a challenge in closing. The challenge that I want to throw out to you guys this week is find someone you love and trust. That might be your spouse or a really close friend or maybe even a child of yours. And ask them to gently reveal to you an area in your life that your actions aren't rooted in right thinking. But more specifically, if they see a behavior in you that's not rooted in Jesus. So have a conversation with someone you trust, someone that you love. Spend time together praying for one another, pointing each other to Jesus. Sound good, guys? So I'm gonna pray.
And then we're going to close in some worship this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather here. Father, you know what's been going on and the difficulty that it's been to get together as your family in a corporate setting. So we're just grateful for that this morning. We don't want to be complaining. We want you to actually change our hearts to see your grace everywhere around us, in our day-to-day -day lives, in our spouses, in our friends, in our jobs. Father, let us be thankful for what you've given us today. I pray, Lord, as we're learning about what it looks like to live this Christian life, that you would help line up our thinking with our living. Father, we want to follow your son, Jesus, the example that he set in his life, death, and resurrection, because that's what you created us to do. Lives that are holy and righteous, it sounds terrifying. And in our own strength, we will fail miserably at it. So we need you, Father, through your spirit to show us what it means to follow you, Jesus. We thank you that you're willing to do that. We thank you that we have the privilege of doing that in a family that you placed us here in Andrew Point. So bless the rest of our day today. We love you, Jesus, and we just worship you now. Amen.